song People say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons, a number nine coal And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store You're listening to Helsetter in the Catskills on WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains. I'm Diana Mason, the host of this program. I played at the break uh, 16 tons, uh, talking about, uh, yeah, laboring and uh, what do you get out of it? Well, agriculture workers have long worked under uh, challenging conditions, including heat that can lead to dehydration and heat stroke. And certainly we're concerned about that in our region on some of those hot days. But in other parts of the country, the temperature rising to over 100 degrees and staying over 100 degrees really presents some dangers uh, f- uh, f- physical dangers from heat for farm workers. <clears throat> and there's one nurse who has made this the focus of her research. Dr. Roxana Chikas is an assistant professor of nursing at the Nell Hogson Woodruff School of Nursing at Emory University. And I want to welcome Dr. Chikas to Health Center in the Catskills. Thank you for joining me, Roxana. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. So your program of re- of research has been focusing on the working conditions of farm workers. Tell us why you took this focus. Well, I took this focus because I share a similar background as many farm workers. Um, there's about 3 million farm workers in the United States, and most of them are foreign-born from Latin America. And it's also estimated that between 50 to 70 percent of farm workers are undocumented. And I'm from El El Salvador. I came to the United States when I was four years old, also with my mom um, in search for opportunities, jobs, very much like farm workers. And I was undocumented until the age of 18. So for me, it's I understand what it is to live with a precarious immigration status and I have family members, community members, friends who work in intensive labor jobs and do not have access to health care. And farm workers are very much a, a, a occupational group that a lot of people don't think about them. Yeah. Um, they are very marginalized because they, many of them work in very rural areas, so you don't see them. There's not much of a spotlight on them. And I just felt that as an immigrant who had previously been undocumented, I felt that this was the population that I wanted to focus on and hopefully help improve their working conditions and lives here in the United States. 
Now, um, I, I have to share with you that I was driving through California last summer, and you, you can go through st- stretches of the middle of California where it's farm farmland after farmland after farmland. It was quite hot, and there were people laboring in the fields. And I thought about, my gosh, how do they manage uh, to do this work uh, in such such horrible conditions with the, with the temperatures rising? Uh, you've done a review of research on chronic disease um, in when uh, of what's called unknown origin. We don't know why people have the person has chronic disease. So chronic disease of unknown origin among farm workers. Tell us about that work and what what your research showed. Yes, it's chronic kidney disease of unknown origin, um, CKDU. So we first started seeing this farm workers having chronic kidney disease. They were developing chronic kidney disease in Central America. And, you know, everybody was kind of questioning, why are so many farm workers having chronic kidney disease? And researchers started to study it. Because these were workers who were young. Uh, They didn't have the traditional risk factors of chronic kidney disease, which are being um, uh, older or having diabetes or hypertension. None of the traditional risk factors. These are seemingly young men who worked in agriculture developing chronic kidney disease. And risk factors for this are laboring, outdoors in high temperatures Um, that is one of like the risk factors now there are several researchers who are looking into this and everyone kind of has a different hypothesis of why this is going on there are some researchers who think it's related to pesticides others think it's maybe related to leptospirosis in in the dirt or heavy metals and uh, heat. It's more likely, and the consensus really is, that it's probably multifactorial. Mm. Um, and just several things coming together, and these workers, and it's not just in Central America that we're seeing, we're also seeing it in other parts of the world, like Nepal, India, Australia. Um, and, and what they all have kind of in common is that these are very hot places where it's happening. Mm. And Pesticides, you know, it's hard to, to figure out, you know, if it's pesticides because pe- there's so many different pesticides that are used all over the world. So it's hard to pinpoint one that's being used everywhere. Mm. And in the United States, while we haven't seen chronic kidney disease of unknown origin kind of organically happening here, what we are seeing is acute kidney injury in farm workers just in one day. The studies from California and our studies from Florida show that, that, and there's an association with intense labor and working outdoors. In one of our studies, for every five degree increase in heat, heat index, the risk of acute kidney injury increases by 47%. Roxana, tell us about what acute, chronic, uh, acute kidney disease looks like. How would a person experience it? So they don't know that this is happening. Acute kidney injury, workers have no idea it's happening. There are no symptoms, like, really associated with it. We know there's uh, dehydration is a part of it, but workers don't even realize this is happening. And the thing with kidney disease is that you really don't have symptoms until the disease is way advanced. Mm -hmm. 
But here, in the, what we are seeing is, you know, there's acute kidney injury, and the thought is that perhaps this chronic exposure to um, heat and working hard, and if they're having multiple episodes of acute kidney injury, that could lead to renal dysfunction and chronic kidney disease. So we want to prevent that from happening. And it's not just in farmers. We just did a study um, in August with construction workers, and mm-hmm. it's happening with them too. Uh. Really good so, point. Yes. So really, I think that this is something really important that farm workers are kind of like climate canaries, where we can see almost what is happening as the temperatures continue to rise and rise and rise. And it's important that we study this because, one, we need to protect them. But, two, I think it has implications for all other outdoor workers and also bigger implications just for the general public of how that's going to affect us all. So you've also started to look at interventions to deal with this, to prevent this acute kidney injury. Talk to us about your hydration intervention for farm workers. So one, there are very few uh, interventions to uh, done to see if we can protect workers from acute kidney injury or you know any renal dysfunction. And, and really, there's very few... Uh, studies that have been done with farm workers to see if we can just prevent heat-related illness symptoms. And we thought it was very important that while we're trying to figure out why this is happening, that we find ways to protect workers. So we looked at the literature, and we found this one small study that was done in Guatemala where they gave workers um, water with electrolytes. And so we thought, you know, let's try to do this here in the United States, in Florida, one, to see will the workers actually drink it, um, and how does it affect their um, kidney function? Does it stop acute kidney injury? And so what we did was we randomized agricultural workers to either five liters of just plain water or five liters of water with electrolytes. The workers, it's supposed to be blind, right? Like they don't know what they got. So the, <laughs> the group, <laughs> Oh, yes. The group that got the electrolytes, they knew they, they had the electrolytes. And the participants who had only water, they were, some of them thought that they had water with electrolytes. (laughs) They were the ones that were more kind of confused. But what we found from that study was that, one, the workers in general almost doubled how much water they were drinking because we gave them jugs. We gave them two jugs already filled. And we asked them, you know, try to drink as much of this as you can. And... The other thing that we found was that the group that drank the electrolytes, none of them had acute kidney injury. Mm-hmm. Whereas the group that only drank water, there was acute kidney injury there. And then, of course, the, the day when they, um, the control day, where we didn't give them anything, there was acute kidney injury there. So these are very promising results uh, that are very encouraging for me. And we want to do larger studies to see, you know, does this, still uphold when we scale it up and my hope is that one day we'll we'll be able to do that and provide some good recommendations for the occupational safety and health administration to to start recommending these and also for industry to take up um, practices that could um, protect their workers. So a couple questions about this. <clears throat> in the meantime, if uh, we have a lot of farms up here and if somebody's listening, a farmer's listening or a farm worker is listening and, and maybe want to make sure that they're not getting acute 
kidney injury, um, it, would it harm them? Yes, you have to do more research to say definitively that the electrolytes in the water uh, have have a positive impact. Uh, but in the meantime, are there any downsides to water with electrolytes? I don't think there are any downsides. Um, you know, the recommendation is that um, you're supposed to drink um, about five, if you're working outdoors, about five to eight liters of, of water um, when you're outdoors. And, you know, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, says, you know, you can add electrolytes, but they're not very specific on what. Mm. And the electrolytes that we chose, and, and then I think this is very important, the ones we chose are uh, a formula that the World Health Organization um, WHO created, which is one that they give out when there's a lot of dehydration uh, going on. And you can buy it on Amazon, and it's re- relatively um, affordable compared to, for example, electrolytes that we buy at any store. Like in Gatorade like made- kind of yes. stuff? Yeah. yeah. Yes, and those we really try to discourage workers from drinking those because they have so much sugar. sugar. Yeah. yeah, So much sugar, and it's more expensive. And believe it or not, Farm workers, many of them are overweight. Diabetes is a big problem within the community. So we don't want them to just drink, you know, Gatorade or uh, any of these uh, kind of sports drinks that have so much sugar in them. And we try to educate them on that as well. And, And so you said that you can get these on Amazon? Yes. You just water electrolytes? Is that what you would look for? You can uh, look for the World Health Organization uh, electrolytes. Okay. World Health Organization electrolytes. Great. Yes, and it's packets. Now, you've already also been studying uh, uh, methods to cool the body of people who are out working. At the, we're talking about farm workers, but as you said, construction workers. I, I'm thinking the road workers, too, that yeah. we see repairing our roads. Yeah. So um, uh, you've, you've looked at a cooling bandana and a cooling vest. Tell us about those interventions. Yes. So we know that um, farm workers, their core body temperature goes over 100.4 uh, which is for us, you know, once you go over that, it's considered to to be a fever. Mm-hmm. Now, for the longest, we knew that uh, agricultural workers were probably having elevated core body temperatures, but no one had really objectively measured it. So we were one of the first groups to measure it, where we gave workers a sensor, a pill that they would swallow, and it would track their temperature every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So we were able to say definitely, yes, their core body temperature is going over. So we thought about what can we do to try to prevent their core body temperature from going over so that, you know, they don't go into heat stroke. Mm -hmm. And again, very few studies done, um, basically none in the United States aside from educational interventions. Internationally, there's been some like uh, with cooling baths and different methods and, um, in collaboration with the Farm Workers Association of Florida, who's our community partner, we came up with a cooling vest and a cooling bandana. And because these were things that workers could, could use, and it can't be something that um, is going to interfere with their work. And we randomized workers to either using a cooling bandana, which is about $5. And what you do with that is you wet it 
you wring it out and then you put it around your neck. Mm. And then um, then we have the cooling vest. Now, the cooling vest is $200, and it has these ice inserts that take longer to melt. Mm. And we gave workers two, two, two packets of inserts so they could switch them out once they melted. And then we had a third group who wore both, and, of course, we had a control group. And what we found was that the cooling bandana did much better at protecting workers from going over 38 degrees Celsius or 100.4. And when they did go over, they spent a lot less time over. Hmm. Whereas the cooling vest alone and wearing both, and of course the control group, they were spending a lot more time over 38 degrees. And so we think that the, the reason that the cooling bandana works better is that one, the cooling bandana goes right around the neck, so it's touching already the skin, and we have large blood vessels uh, by our neck, so that helps cool down. One of the things that we worry about heat stroke is, you know, rising temperature in the brain. So we think that perhaps that kind of helps cool the body down. The other thing, the bandana, they could re-wet it. Anytime they started feeling like it wasn't working, it wasn't cooling them, they could re-wet it. And it went, didn't weigh much. Whereas the vest, the workers mm. told us, you know, once the vest starts melting, uh. the weight kind of pulls them down. The weight is no longer evenly distributed. So the vest weighs about five pounds. So you can imagine if you're an agriculture working really fast, having to bend down and everything, that that extra weight, it, you know, it's it's a lot on their body. Two, uh, the, the vest, they wore it over clothes, right? So then they have that layer there that's in between. Mm. Also, the workers were, like I mentioned earlier, many of them are overweight. So there's extra adipose tissue there. And the other thing that the workers told us was, we think the vest would work if we had scheduled dress breaks where we could just put them on to cool us down for 10, 15 minutes. And I think they're right because the studies done internationally, there's a few, like two or three of them. That is how they did it. They, the workers had scheduled rest break and they would wear the vest and they had great results. The problem here in the United States with farm workers here is that many of them do not have regular scheduled breaks. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we thought, you know, if they wear it while they're working, perhaps that'll help. But I think that, you know, a bandana, it's $5. I mean, I think it's, and, and you can use it several times um, for extended periods of time. And the workers really loved it because it, it wasn't heavy and it was easy to use. And I think it's something that, you know, could really protect workers. How does one get one of the bandanas? You know, the bandana, again, they're online. You can get them on a- Amazon or, uh, you know, Walmart, any any uh, uh, Home Depot, and they're called cooling bandanas. The one we use is a Chill X, so C H I L L X, and um, and again, you they're 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 reusable and workers like them. Wow, that's that's amazing and such a simple solution. Um, so, what do we what do we need to do to sort of get people to pay attention to this work? Well, you're helping out by inviting me to talk about this because I think we need to talk more about heat and how uh, it's affecting farm workers who are, you know, government says they are critical to the infrastructure of the United States. 
and heat is a major problem that will affect us all. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, one, by talking more about it in, in different kind of sectors of, of the population, the general public. Two, I think it's important that we advocate for federal heat protection standards. So a lot of people may not know this, but there are no federal heat protection standards. So there's nothing that says in the law, if you're working outdoors, you need water rest or shade. Or these are the things that need to happen to protect workers. So there are there are recommendations, but there are no, like, standards. And I think that's a problem. Wow. There are few, only uh, three states have state heat protection standards, which are California, Washington, and Oregon. Hmm. But other states, like Florida, where, where I work at, there's nothing. Wow. So I, I think that's that's really important to try to advocate for for. Heat protection standards. Yeah, so if we have to do it state by state, we do that. Uh, it seems to me that it's it's only reasonable. Why would you not want to protect your workers? Um, and that's such a simple solution. Well, I, right. um, Dr. Roxana Chikas, Assistant Professor of Nursing at the Nell Hodson Woodruff School of Nursing at Emory University, thank you so much for your work and for coming on to Health Cetera today. If people would like to learn more about your work, is there a way that they can do so? Uh, yes, if you just Google my name, Roxana Chicas, um, at Emory, you will see lots of articles that have been um, published about the work that we do. Yes, you're doing great work. Thank you so much for coming on to Health Center in the Catskills today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, she's doing great work. Uh, I was delighted to have her on. She's she's a rising star boy. While you've been listening to Health Center in the Catskills, I'm Diana Mason. <laughs>